Welcome to Rework, a podcast by 37 Signals about the better way to work and run your business. I'm your host, Kimberly Rhodes, and as always, I'm joined by the co-founders of 37 Signals, Jason Freed and David Heinemeyer Hansen. This week, we're talking about a post that Jason recently wrote on his Hey World blog called Look Back Less, where he argues that businesses need to look forward and not so much back, looking at the postmortems and analyzing things that have happened previously. So, Jason, I know a lot of people commented on Twitter about this post, but tell us a little bit um, about what you're thinking. And then I have a couple of YouTube comments and twi- Twitter comments I want to read for you. So tell us kind of where this this started. Well, started, I was actually doing a podcast a few days ago, um, and this topic of retrospectives kind of made its way into the conversation. And just reminded me how much I think they're pretty worthless in our sphere of, of work, which is, let's call it product development, software writing, product development design, that kind of stuff. It definitely makes sense if you have a reproducible, uh, you're making widgets or there's a very predictable output, like you're running an electrical plant and so, if all of a sudden something goes wrong, like you can trace it back and you know what it should look like on the other side and what the input should, or if you're making widgets and you know, I, I think in the example is like if you're stamping circles, uh, and, and they come out as slightly less than circular, like something went wrong. You can trace that back, fix that problem, whatever. When you're dealing with a bunch of people making software, which is this sort of ambiguous, amorphous thing. Um, and, and every time you do something, it's different. The output's different. We make this feature, we make this feature, we make this feature, we make this feature. The output is not the same. Yeah, it has to work, but like a million different things are different about it than the last time you did it. I don't think there's a lot of lessons, frankly, to draw from things when they don't go right. Um, and the ones that you can draw are pretty fucking obvious, I think. And if if they're not, you're not going to find them anyway. What you're going to do is you're going to so you're going to find something that you can hang your hat on and go, it was because we didn't communicate enough, or we should have brought QA in earlier. Had we only done that, then everything would have been fine. Or um, had we had another designer, or whatever it was, like. You come up with these things. There's no counterfactuals to prove them right, right or wrong. But you're like, that was the reason. That was the reason. And next time, and I, I don't think that that's ever really what went wrong. Sometimes things just don't go right. And you don't really know why. Or they did go as right as they could have, no matter what you would have done. And also the idea that people say like, well, if I could have gone back and done something differently, would I have? You couldn't have. You were in the same exact moment with the same history of your life and everything before that. The same people in the room, you would have made the exact same decision. So let's not go back and think we could have changed time. And again, I don't think a lot of those lessons play forward in a way that if, if they're not, if they're obvious, they will. If they're not obvious, they won't. So my point is like, if you're going to look back at all, you should glance back, but not stare. And I think retrospectives and postmortems and these sort of reviews are about staring back and trying to squint to find the thing that went wrong. Again, if it's a process that's very clear and repeatable, different story, but in the kinds of stuff that we do, I don't think it's repeatable and I don't think there's a lot of lessons to draw. And I think the reasons why you can't draw these lessons in a productive way is you don't get to test your hypothesis. So let's say you involve QA a little earlier next time on the next project. How is that a controlled variable? How do you know whether that intervention actually worked or it didn't work? And I think we talk about involving QA earlier. What The worst part of this, the worst part of retrospective, and so tempting to do, is to introduce additional process. Next time, we have to make sure that we X. Now there's another fucking line on the checklist of things you're supposed to do. You do that long enough, and that list is going to get tedious. It's going to be a 
box ticking event. Now, if you're launching a freaking rocket into space, I'm really glad that there are people who have checklists and that they go through methodically and they check that the valve is tightened and all of this stuff because it's repeatable. And you literally know um, whether you did it right or not, because if you did it wrong, people may die. In product development, it's just not like that at all. You don't get to run the same experiment. You don't get to run the hypothesis and more likely than not, you're going to do what feels like you should do something. Oh, not everything went well, so we got to do something, right? We can't just do the same thing again because then we're going to get the same outcome. No, you're not because all the inputs are different. All the people are different. I think for us, we do retrospectives on things like outages. And it's usually around repeatable processes. It is things like we were supposed to switch over from this database to that database. There is actually a checklist and it is a repeatable process. Then it's great. It's wonderful. What's funny about the other side of it is um, it actually took until Jason posted that post for me to really think back upon all the many postmortems and retrospectives we've done on product development and think, do you know what? I can't think of a single thing, not one goddamn insight that had come out of any of it. And we've been doing these for 10, 15 years, probably at least, where I go like, oh, yeah, that was a good use of two hours worth of time. In fact, I think it's worth worse than useless. It is giving you the false idea that if you just analyze it well enough, as Jason said, you could have gone back and you could have gotten different outputs from those kinds of insights. You know what? Probably not, right? And this is part of the understanding here is that when it comes to product development, where you don't actually know even what you want, like there's not an output that's even defined, you're trying to build a feature that people will like. Well, what does that look like? It could be a million different things. That's why you can change the scope and so on. That's what the magic of product development is, that there's not a defined output. Um, So when that's what you're trying to build up, what you're actually, the main organ that works for that is intuition. It's your gut. And that has already been processed. You've already done the retrospective, just going through the motions of building the thing you, you were building and maybe it didn't work out as perfectly as it should have. All those inputs, they're already down here in the belly, swirling around, being ready for the, the next time. And trying to fully articulate that wisdom is a complete fool's errand. You actually can't articulate it because it's all in these subtle weights. To me, I think, do you know what? This is one of the reasons why I think AI might actually be onto something here because no one fucking understands how AI actually produces what it does because it boils down to sort of a gut sense of what's the next token, what's the next word going to be on the basis of everything that I've read and know. That's much the same with good product people, good product developers, good product designers. Can they deduce exactly why the button is like this or why we're cutting this amount of scope. No, they can't. They can't articulate it. And if you force them to, they will come up with a bullshit story. It's funny. This my next post I'm working on is all about uh, everything's a judgment call. Every, every People are like, this is a data-driven decision. No, it's not. If a human's making it, it's a judgment call. It's always a judgment call in the end. Um, you can look at have a bunch of different inputs, but it's still a judgment call. Otherwise, like let the computer make the decision. But if we're unwilling to do that, then we're, and we're bringing a human in, then that human is bringing to bear a million different variables, and they don't even know half of them that, that point them in this direction or that direction. So uh, anyway, that's, that's the next, maybe we'll do a podcast on that when that post comes out. But Okay, so I'm curious how this kind of ties back to analytics as well, because I know we don't have a 
giant analytics team or someone who's posting reports every week about how things are going. Part of me thinks that this kind of ties into that as well. We used to. Uh, and um, what we found is that we're just not a, a, a analytical driven product company. Like, like David says, we do look at analytics and data and performance numbers when we're looking at, at serving up pages and, and uh, more technical uh, infrastructure kind of stuff to make sure we're serving stuff up properly and search doesn't take forever and we're the long queries and where can we knock those down and all that kind of stuff. But as far as product decisions, we're not driven by, by the data. Uh, we're curious about it. Like I'm curious about this and I'm curious about that. But data, of course, tells a story that already happened. It doesn't talk about what could happen or what could be if you made this change or that change. You're still running blind. You do not know what's going to happen until you do it. The market will tell you the truth. Everything else is an estimate and a guesstimate, which is fine. It's not a bad thing to have some educated stuff behind your, your gut, but ultimately you just don't know until you make the thing. And so we'd rather just make the thing and find out for real than to sit around and pontificate and think about and spend weeks perhaps um, paralyzed by choice because we're not sure what to do because we don't know what's going to happen. And that means in the meantime, we could have built the thing and found out for real. I'd much rather just do that. That's just the choice that we typically make. And I think that that ultimately leads to the honest output and the honest decision and the honest inputs in the end versus, um, you know, the analysis of it. Analysis, again, does not tell you what's going to happen. They're all anything that's forward looking is a prediction. And certainly some predictions are more certain than others. And there's higher probability in some ways. In some ways, there's not like it's all based on what was and things can be different. And who knows what really mattered and timing and the market and the world. I mean, I remember when we were going to launch Hay, um, we were about to launch Hay. And then there was like a, a massive uh, social uprising in the United States, I think, at the time. And we said, like, we should hold off on this. Like, you know, like, had we launched it then or had Apple not given us a bunch of shit for, for, our, for our, our trying to, oh, they didn't give us a bunch of shit. They said, like, you can't be in the app store. Like, we didn't plan that. That was a huge thing that happened that helped us. We didn't know that was going to happen. You know, then it happened. And then what do we do about it? Well, we play into it. But that's always moving forward. All this stuff is about moving forward. What are you going to do with what you have? Uh, not, not what do you think you're going to have, but what are you going to do with what you actually have? What presents itself and how do you work with that? That's what I think is the skill to really build up and ultimately the only honest approach to doing this kind of work. And I think it's that honesty that has led us to the realization that we'd rather not have a full-time data analyst. And we've had uh, three data analysts over the past, I want to say, 15 years. And they're wonderful careful, diligent people who could dive into the data and produce a statistically significant result based on that data. And we chased all sorts of insights for years and years. Oh, can we deduce exactly why it is Basecamp customers convert, for example? That's usually the holy grail for SaaS companies. If you can look at a, a trial uh, account what does it take for that trial account to become a paid customer? Can we do more of that stuff? And we would come after months of analyses, dozens and dozens of pages, lots of fancy calculations. And I mean fancy in a respectful way here, like rigorous mathematical inquiries. And the answer would be, oh, people buy Basecamp more if they can get others to use it with them. Okay. I mean, I could probably have told you that. And also, is that even actionable? What can we do? 
So we tried to make it actionable. Oh, what if we somehow rejigger the invite flow and we ask you to invite people earlier on? Do you know what? It's not that easy. Like these insights are not that actionable. This is usually, again, the holy grail of data analytics is you produce actionable insights and then you can take those actionable insights and you plug them into the system and voila, the business goes up and to the right. Um not my experience, not our experience. Again, that does not mean there aren't um, times where this is quite valuable, especially on things like where the process is quite repeatable. I remember one clear victory we had, which was we changed the marketing page on an old product we had called HiRise, where we had a given marketing page and we changed it to something else. And then we kind of just went like, all right, that is what it is. And then six months later, we did a reverse analysis on whether it worked and it had not. And like it didn't, it did not work. It actually materially harmed the sign-up rate and we lost a fair amount of business on that. So I think like the A-B testing of the incremental changes there can work. But even there, you can get sucked into a local uh, maxima. Uh, Jason has changed the sort of whole scope of how we present Basecamp multiple times. And usually when it's a big shift, it's got to go on like the gut of it. We're going to do this. The same thing we had with um, when we were playing around with different pricing options for, for Basecamp. We had a lot of really sophisticated analysis to go into it. And in the end, we had to rely on the fact that Jason's gut told him this is the right way to go. Because all the analysis in the world was not going to tell us what the market was going to do. And in that particular instance, it's recent enough that it's vivid. We really would have been better off if we'd just thrown shit against the wall. So this is one of those areas where if you have a function, if you have a full-time data analyst, you will feel obliged to do full-time data analysis, which in some cases perhaps is useful and the repeatable processes and we have a bunch of things of performance and da-da-da-da-da. Great. On these kind of things, where should the business go? Who should we target? How should we go about it? There are as many pitfalls as there are trampolines in terms of getting the business to the next point. And I think... Most people underestimate just how much it can slow down decision-making and how much of a false aura of certainty it can give you. And where I often see this is that when it's not your own skin in the game, when it's not a founder-led decision, people want data to back them up in such a way that they can say, do you know what? The data said, like, I'm not out on a limb here. I'm not going out on the board. You can't just like, Hold me personally accountable for the decision. This is why there's such power in having founder-led businesses. Because Jason can go like, I think this is the right move. Do I know for sure? No, I don't. If I'm wrong, my ass on the line. Who's going to fire me? Right? That gives you the confidence and to some extent, for a fancy word here, courage to try risky things. And that always has to be measured against like, Okay, so that looks risky. Changing your entire um, pricing model on an existing product. What do we do with existing customers? Da, 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 da. Yeah, there's risk in that. Do you know what there's also risk in? Doing fucking nothing. Staying the course. Traveling down a road that's going to lead to a dead end at some point. It's not like the fully analytical approach to life and business has this miraculously better outcome rate. Absolutely not. Most businesses that continue to innovate and do well, they are driven by people who will... Jump into the unknown. Go like, yeah, I don't know. We're going to find out. We're going to see what happens. And then hopefully I get enough chances to be right. And hopefully my gut is attuned enough with the market. And I don't exactly know how to articulate why it is I believe this is right or why this is a danger moment. I mean, this is one of those areas where 
the truth often comes out the day before launching. And it's like you have this supercomputer in your gut and it's computing all these things and you're about to push go live and suddenly the supercomputer comes up and say like, mm, no, I don't feel good about this. This doesn't smell right. We've had this time and again, and you know what? We can have all the reams of data in the world, all the data analysis. It doesn't hold a candle most of the time on those leaps of faith to the supercomputer in your gut. The other thing is, yeah, and that's why it's always a judgment call. And it's also why, like, if you're <laughs> companies are just so disingenuous about this. They, they always talk about it's everything's data driven. They're very analytical. Yet they hire, when you hire an executive, and executives typically are put in charge to make decisions. What are they looking for in an executive? Experience. What is experience? It's not reading a spreadsheet. Like anyone can read a spreadsheet. No, there's not people who are better at reading spreadsheets than others. I mean, there is, but there, that bar is like relatively low. It's cleared. And then that's that. It's experience. It's judgment. It's they've seen a lot of things. They've, they've, they've absorbed a lot of things. They've been through a lot of things. These are human experiences. This is what judgment is. It's a collection of human experiences, some that you know and some that you don't know. We don't know what colors every decision we make. We don't know what 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 made us think this or made us think that. We can think we know. We don't really know, but it's it's experience. So they're not going to hire an executive with one year experience. They're going to hire an executive with 25 years of experience. That simply means that they're 25 years ahead on human intuition on on things because they've seen a lot. So companies actually thoroughly value experience and judgment. Yet they, for whatever reason, don't want to give it credit uh, when making decisions. But ultimately, that is the decision. That is how decisions are made, I believe. And the other thing is that I think a lot of companies are simply just really, to David's point about people being held accountable, is that it's all about um, everyone searching for certainty and validation. We, we think the only certainty is to build the thing and put it out there. That's how you know. If you want to know, make it. And make it fast and make it often, and then you'll find out. Like, I'd rather do that than wonder and guess and predict. Just let's make the thing and see what happens. Now, we're not making new products every two days, because that would be ridiculous. But, you know, how many consequential decisions are you really making in a year anyway? Not probably that many consequential ones. So pick a lane, make something, put it out in the market and find out what happens. And then you can adjust from there based on real information. So Certainty is not, pre-certainty is not really ever on the plate for us. Uh, we just want to feel good about it and feel good enough about it. In fact, all we're really curious about is how maybe is something. Not like how certain is it, but how maybe is it? Is it very maybe? Is it a little maybe? Like, that's the best you can really do. And I think as long as you're honest about that, uh, I think you can move faster. And that's kind of what we're after. This is one of the areas where the heuristic I picked up, the key heuristic I picked up from the Elon Musk biography was the intention that he looks at his, himself and his decision-making framework and go like, if I am not wrong, badly so, at least 10% of the time when we're making decisions about what goes into the product or what we can cut, how fast we can go, how optimistic a deadline could be, whatever, I'm not close enough to the line. This is one of the things that have really was uh, I think that clicked for me. I've always thought about like, all right, I know you have to go close to the line to sort of be able to squint and see where it is. I hadn't thought about it in the sense of like, do you know what? You should think about it as if not one out of 10 of your decisions is like wrong, like full on has to be reversed. You're not going fast enough. You're not making quick enough decisions. You should move faster, make more of them and know that the majority of decisions are reversible. And I think this is really what should give you so much faith in your ability to make more decisions quicker and make them more decisive is that almost everything can be reversed. When I think about 
on the 20 year history we have. I'm even struggling to think the last time we made a fully permanent and irreversible decision where if we were really, really wrong, there was just nothing we could do about it and it would suck tremendously versus I can think of probably 10,000 decisions that fell in the other camp where, do you know what? We had some maybe, a lot of maybe, a little maybe on the decision going in and we knew that it was fine to trust that amount of maybe because we could always revert. We could always go back. And I think the main cost there is your ego. And this is where ego really comes in the way. And this is where ego really comes in the way when you're hiring executives who feel like their situation is on the line if they make the wrong calls. Again, why this whole founder setup is so important to some extent. Um, because you can put the ego out of the way. Not that there aren't plenty of founders, including us, who don't occasionally or perhaps even a lot of the times have an ego that's in the way. But at least you have a method of thinking about getting it out of the way. Do you know what? If I'm willing to be wrong, we can go faster. If I'm willing to be wrong 10% of the time, we can go really fast. And we can revert the times when we are wrong. And we can go like, yep, didn't call that one right. So what? Isn't that the human condition? Didn't call that one right? Like, who the fuck goes through the whole of it and go like, yep, right on everything. Someone who made no decisions at all, which is the worst decision of all. Okay, before we wrap up, I want to get your hot takes on this one tweet response that we got, because I think a lot of people just don't get it. This idea of not looking back, like it's such a traditional business strategy. Uh, someone on Twitter wrote, am I missing something? How can you focus on doing better next time without identifying what needs to improve? Without creating space to address problems, the main focus moment to moment is simply getting the work done. Issues fester and less addressed. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, David, you want to take that first? I'll have a thought. But. Yes. To me, it goes exactly to the parallel I tried to draw earlier with the AI model. Every We've already been through this. Yep. I did all the work. It didn't pan out. Like That was probably weeks. Maybe it was months of learning. That's the real learning. Is not sitting afterwards and trying to make a list of it. The real learning happened in two months, in those two months. That was the training data. The training data is already in the gut. It's already being fed into the supercomputer. And the next time, do you know what? You will have all of those things in your mind. You don't need to articulate them. Now, again, repeatable processes, blah, blah, blah. We have given all the caveats. But when it comes to product development, you do not need to articulate everything. You need to realize that the value was the experience, that it already comes pre-programmed with the set of lessons that you may not even know. Because what does it mean? Let's involve QA earlier. What is too early? Is it like five months in advance? Is it a little? You're going to have that like at your fingertips in the moment, your weights which is what they talk about in AI, right? Like you're, you're training the weights of the language model. Your weights have been altered by going through the experience. It's not like you can't absorb that knowledge unless you sit down and talk in a circle for two hours. What other fucking bullshit? I mean, how preposterous is it to think that like it's those two hours? That's where like all the lessons and learnings are going to happen. What? No. Like I... Remark it often to um, race car driving. So 
I usually drive with professional drivers. I get the data where I can see exactly what they do on a split second basis. I can see exactly how much throttle they have, exactly how much steering wheel. Does that mean I can replicate what they're doing? No, it does not. The only way I get a, to be a better race car driver is I can look at that, but then I got to go out and do it, right? Like I got to actually get the experience. I got to get the muscle memory weights just right. I can't just look at a piece of paper. I can't just look at a set of conclusions and learn anything from it. And perhaps that was the greatest fallacy of all. I used to think that you could do second order benefits from retrospectives, that you could have a group of people who had worked on a project and they come up with like five things they learned or 10 things, and then other people could learn something from that. No, absolutely not. Because if you can't learn from the two Hour, someone sat together and tried to compile this list. There's no freaking way you're going to learn anything by spending like two minutes reading like the main conclusions of something. And now you have the wisdom that took them two months to acquire. Absolutely not. It is delusional in the worst sense of sort of the academic intellectual delusion that all wisdom is articulated. No, it's not. Yeah, I don't have much more to add. That was a spectacular answer. I mean, the thing I would say, though, is that I just think that you reflect moving forward. Uh, you don't reflect back. You, you, you learn by doing and you learned by doing. You, learned, you had the experience and you know what went wrong or you know what went right. And if you're completely shocked at the if you thought everything went beautifully well and you put this thing out in the world and it's an abject failure and you're floored and shocked by it, I don't think you're going to you're, you're fucked anyway. If your judgment is that off that completely off that that looking back and replaying the tape which you don't have anyway so you're remembering the tape you're not replaying any tape there's no tape you're remembering the things you could have done and then you just pick and choose because you have to and you assume that these are the things that were wrong and then next time you'll do it right you'll do it better i just i don't believe that that's true i really truly don't i think You've internalized, like David said, you've internalized the training data. You, 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 you went through the process and you're going to get better by doing more of it, not by reviewing it. It's like you learn to play an instrument. You get better by practicing more. Now you can practice poorly and there's all this deliberate practice and whatnot, right? You can improve your practicing skills, but you improve your practicing skills ultimately by practicing more forward not backwards. You don't review your lesson with your teacher over two hours and go through all the things you did wrong on the guitar. He's like, no, next time let's do this. Let's do this. And you try that and do that. And that's how you learn. That's how we learn everything in life is you learn by doing, you learn by going forward. We're not sitting reviewing every last thing that we do. We're making mistakes all the time. You go, that was stupid. I know that. I won't do that again or whatever. You just, it's all about forward. It's all about doing. So yeah, I don't think there's a lot of, um, gold nuggets uh, sitting around that haven't been mined that are just sitting there that only if you if you look harder, you'll find them, especially like then the further away you get from the moment, the worse your memory is about it. And people start to make up stories about what it was and what happened and what could have been better. I just don't buy any of that, frankly. So, yeah, it's not the, the thing is, we're not suggesting you don't learn. You, you have to learn, but you learn by you've already learned and now you need to surface and you need to surface it by doing it again. That's that's how you get better. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I will link to Jason's original post in our show notes. Rework is production of 37 Signals. You can find show notes and transcripts on our website at 37signals.com slash podcast. You can also see full video episodes on YouTube and Twitter. And if you have a question for Jason or David about a better way to work and run your business, leave us a voicemail at 708-628-7850. You can also text that number or send us an email to rework at 37signals.com. 